You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Jonathan. I serve as the executive pastor here at North Valley. It's a privilege to be with you today uh, as we are beginning the month of December. It is already here. Um, And as we're beginning December, we're actually concluding our teaching series, This is the Life. And um, so glad that you're here with us as we wrap this up. Um, in, um, in just a minute, we're going to stand and read uh, the passage. What I want to do is, as we're concluding, this is the life, we're actually going to go back to uh, chapter 1 in First John and see, just remind ourselves where John started, and then we will be reading from chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 21 to finish up the book. As we've been in the series, this is the life, um, I, my mind just naturally tries to make parallels between things because I'm trying to grasp at what I know in order to help that which is new to me so that I can understand them in context. And so um, as we've been in this series, I've been thinking about the movie The Matrix and um, specifically a very pivotal scene, but I was reminded to tell you guys just the first movie, The Matrix, not the subsequent ones as they go on a journey that may not be helpful to us. But do you guys remember, it has been a while, 1999. I had to go back and look at when The Matrix was made because I, in my memory, it's something recent, but I'm realizing we're, we're closing in on 20 years ago. So, but I think probably most of you have seen the movie Matrix or maybe you've probably, if you haven't seen it, you've heard about it. But do you remember that there's this pivotal scene where Neo, the main character, is sitting down with Morpheus and Morpheus is talking to Neo and saying, hey, listen, I know that there's a wrestling within you that something's not quite right in life. And so by day, Neo is this um, pro computer programmer, but by night, he's a hacker and he's wrestling with trying to understand what's going on in, in life and, and wrestling with it. Things aren't all old. They're they're not completely what they seem, but he can't quite put his finger on it. So Morpheus brings him and he sits down with Neo and he goes, I can show you what it is that you're wrestling with. I can show you the truth, the true reality that exists. And right now your mind and your, your eyes are clouded and closed to it. And so Morpheus opens his hand and there's a red pill and a blue pill. And he says, you can go on, Neo, if you want to. You can go on in this mundane life, closed off to the reality that truly is. But if you want to know, you take that red pill and we'll see how deep this rabbit hole really goes. In a sense, John has brought us to that very point. Through these chapters, he's been talking to us about about the reality of the Christian life. He's been talking to us about these realities and positioning kind of these uh, uh, two two. Um, areas, two camps of life. There's the followers of Jesus Christ and what that life looks like. And then there's the reality of the world and, and those that have choose not to follow Jesus Christ. And in a sense, we're kind of at that point, friends, today, where in chapter five, John isn't going to unpack anything new. He's just going to re-hit on some of the main points that he's already talked about. In a sense, saying, before you today, friends, is a red pill and a blue pill. And if you want to go on living your life in the regular, ordinary, uncertain fashion, take the blue pill and continue on. But John says, but I have talked to you about the truth. And if you want, you grasp hold of that truth and live accordingly. So friends, it's going to be a good journey today. If you would take out your Bible, your smartphone, uh, your, your smart device and turn to the book of 1 John. And if you will, turn to the first chapter and go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word today. 
And we stand here at North Valley just to remind ourselves of the honor and uh, respect and the authority that the Bible has in our lives. So here we go. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, the first uh, four verses for us, just to remind us where we started. And so John says in verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Turn over to chapter 5, and we'll pick it up in verse 13 through 21. John continues, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. God, thank you for this time today that we gather and we conclude this book of 1 John. Thank you for all that John has been teaching us. God, I pray that today, through the power of your spirit, you would solidify those truths in our minds and in our hearts, that when we leave this place, our lives would be changed and that we live according to what we have learned. So God, be helpful to us today to learn well. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, friends. So John, as a reminder, John starts off in, in this letter that he's writing, and the audience is, is to believers. It's to those who trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And as he's writing to believers, he says, hey, I'm an eyewitness. So what I'm talking to you about, I have seen, I have witnessed with my own eyes, and I want to talk to you about it. And then he continues on and he says, but I want you to have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with God the Father. And I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete. As we started this series, This is the Life, I, I'm kind of curious what things came to your mind as, as, as we're in this series. This is the life. Maybe you thought of a stark, cold room, metal table, uncomfortable chair, sitting there, your mind numbed to to the world? No, probably not. Probably you were thinking about a beach, the nice warm sun, your toes in the sand, hearing the waves crashing back and forth as the surf is coming in. Or maybe some of you pictured hiking up in the brisk air of a mountain and you come upon this ledge and you look out before you and it's this glassy still lake and you're seeing the reflection of fall foliage, the beautiful colors. 
I'm not quite sure what came to mind for you, but when we think about this is the life, we think about something joyous, something peaceful, something where we have contentment. And what John is talking to us about is that the Christian life specifically, that is the life. And so as we engage in understanding what John is talking about and we hold fast to the truths that John teaches us, that is where we're going to find joy and contentment. From the very beginning, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may have joy. And then as we continue in chapter five, picking up in verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know. John uses that word know. He uses it seven times in these verses. And so that's his key word. And he's used it over 39 times throughout the book. So there's something specific about this knowing And we know, as John did, even as he's writing this, that in terms of our lives, what we do, what we go after, who we are, all of that follows what we believe. So if you want to understand what somebody believes, look at their life, evaluate it, and you'll see what they truly believe not what they might say with their mouth, but what they truly hold on to in the heart of hearts about what they believe because our lives will always follow what we believe. And so for John, as he's writing and he's talking about no, he's not just talking about a fact like two plus two equals four that you might know in your mind, but it's, it's a deep-seated truth that has penetrated into your heart. And so it guides what you do, whether you know it consciously or not. So the things that we know, those truths, those will guide our lives and our our behaviors are going to follow that. So look with me as we walk through verses 13 through 21. John is talking to us about the certain life. That as believers, we have a certain life, not a life that's clouded in uncertainty or things that we don't know if they're true or not, but rather a life in which it is certain. We know the truth. We know what is true. We know what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so John in these next verses is just gonna kind of recap the things that he's already said. So look with me, verse uh, 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know. What is it that we know? We know that we have eternal life. So the first point today, friends, we have eternal life. But what does that mean? What does it mean to have eternal life? Uh, John has clarified for us at the very beginning, verse two, he says, the life, that's Jesus, was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. This has a a relational implication for us. Uh, As John goes into chapter three, verse one, he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Eternal life is not just this distant destiny for us. It's the reality that will guide our life here and now, looking down the trajectory of eternity. It has relational implications. It's not just, oh, great, there's an eternity. What does that really mean? No, it means that I understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to this world to die on the cross for sins. And that as I am found in Jesus Christ, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I now live on a trajectory for eternity, one in which it's wonderful and glorious. 
And, the, and God's word talks about a restoration, a, a, a making new of all things. And so even this world that we're in right now will be, made, will be made new. And so I'm looking down, I'm staring down the trajectory of eternity and going, my life looks different now because I know what's coming. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus Christ comes back. He's the King of King, Lord of Lords. And he's gonna make all things right. And so when it says that, when John says we have eternal life, we have a certain future. It's not one of cloudiness. I was a computer geek. I might still be one if you want to label me that, but a computer geek when I was a kid. And so I remember some of those initial kind of computer games and they even have them still today, right? Where the the scene of the game is one in which you are an explorer, but the screen is black, But as you explore, it kind of peels back that blackness and reveals um, either treasures that you can go grasp or battles that you have to fight. But you just don't know kind of the, the contours of the map until you start exploring. That's not the life we live as Christian believers. We're not walking day by day wondering what might be coming in the future. We know what's coming in the future. Now, you may not know every single circumstance you're going to walk through, but you know the trajectory of eternity that you're on. And it's one of surety. You don't have to hope like a dream in what's to come, but you have a a founded and grounded hope based on Jesus Christ that eternity is in view for your life. So John's reminding us as we've been talking, as he's already been saying that we have eternal life. Let's continue on verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Number two, we have answered prayers. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have answered prayers. John's, John's wording is, is amazing here. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. Confidence, it's a, it's a boldness, a freedom of speech that as believers, we come to God and we present our requests to him. And not only does he hear us, not like a, oh, I heard that little chirping sound over there. It's that intent like a father waiting excited. I want to hear from my children waiting. I'm going to listen to what my child is saying to me. And then as, as we pray, God grants those requests. Now, John has a caveat here, right? He says, if we ask anything according to his will, see prayer, unfortunately gets clouded by um, our sinful human flesh. And that even as I think about prayer, I think about, Oh, what could I get? That's not, what, that's not what John's talking about is license to ask for anything you want. Prayer, the purpose of prayer is not to gratify my desires. It's to, it's to align my desires with the will of God the Father. And so then as I'm in line with God's will, the things that I'm asking for are the things that God wants anyway. And so it's like, it's like a child that's coming to a father or to a mother and saying, this is what I want, but I... I'm asking it because I already know that you would want to grant it anyway. Parents, what would you do if your child walks up to you and says, hey, for dinner, can I have some broccoli? No, we don't eat broccoli. Right? We want our children to grow strong and healthy and and vegetables are great 
great part of the diet. And so it's that kind of idea that as believers, we come before God the Father and we pray in line with his will. He wants to, he's already doing these things. We're just aligning ourselves with what he's already doing. And of course, he's going to grant those requests. But it's it's an amazing change. How many times do we as believers go to God and say, man, I don't, I just, I kind of want to ask for something, but I'm not real sure. I kind of want to, like, I don't know, God, if this is really what you want, so I'm, I'm a little afraid to say anything. That's not the relationship that we have. God says, you are my children. And John here is teaching us that as we're, in, in, as we're making requests before God according to his will, he hears us and he grants those requests. What an amazing thing. Do you realize that that's the status you have with God? Powerful, powerful. So not only do we have eternal life, we have answered prayers. I think it was Pastor Ryan just last week said this. I steal all of his phrases because I I just say what's black and white. He has really pithy little sayings. So Ryan reminded us last week that God rewires our desires. So as we, as we grow as believers, as we're walking through life, the more time we spend with God, the more like God we're going to talk the more like God we're going to behave. And so what's amazing is you don't have to wonder about are my desires beginning to align with God's because he's doing that work in you. And so as you pray to God, he's already reworking those desires in you so that you're asking the things that he wants anyway. So friends, there's a confidence with which we come to God, our father, knowing that, that when we're praying and when we're working, Uh, asking things of God, he's working those desires in us to be in line with what he wants anyway. It's an amazing thing, amazing thing. John continues in verses 16 and 17, and he he continues in talking about prayer. Um, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. This can get a little bit tricky, so let me do my best to try to help you understand what, what's going on here in these verses. Remember that as, as we've been walking through 1 John, um, he is talking about these kind of two ways of life. He's talking about the righteous life and the unrighteous life. The life lived in obedience to God, the life lived in disobedience to God. The life that loves God, the life that doesn't love God. And he's not looking at just one small snap snapshot. He's looking at the trajectory of these lives. And so there's the trajectory of life that loves God. And he says, well, you know, if you, here's how you know if you love God, if you obey his commands. Here's how you know if you love God is if you love your brothers and sisters. And then he talks about the unrighteous life, the the life that doesn't love God. And he says, this is what characterizes over time uh, a life that doesn't love God. It's one that, that doesn't follow his commandments. It's one that doesn't love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Even all the way to chapter two, where he talks about uh, the spirit of the Antichrist, starting in verse 18, and he says, they, there was a group of people, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all were, that they all are not of us. And so there's these two lifestyles that John's been talking about and, and, for the, remember what he says about the lifestyle that loves God? The lifestyle that loves um, others? Does John characterize that lifestyle as absolutely across the board having no sin whatsoever? 
Be careful how you answer that. (laughs) Because in chapter one, John says, if you say that you are without sin, you're a liar. John doesn't hide the reality that as believers, we still wrestle with sin. But we have a different relationship with sin as believers than the person who, who does not love God. Our relationship is that which John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so as believers, our relationship isn't that we are completely without sin. It's that we have sin, but that sin has been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. So we don't have to deal with it in terms of making payment for it. The way we deal with sin is we confess it and God gives us life. And so that's what John is saying here in verses 16. He said, if you see a brother or a sister committing sin, not leading to death, meaning they, they may have sin, but it's not life, a death sin. It's pray to God and he will give them life. And so as brothers and sisters, in, as the family of God, we should be praying for each other. It's a very challenging piece. Let me back up just a minute. Do you, do you realize that what John is saying is that when I see a brother or sister in Christ sinning, that my role is not to come judge them for that? If we're honest, that's what we want to do. Because it gratifies ourselves to say, oh, they're, they're messing up. No, John says, no, you pray for that brother and sister and God will give them life. That should be our heart attitude, right? That we all live life. But John does say there is sin that leads to death. He doesn't go in and clarify it. And so in the context, it's as if his, his audience, the, of the, the readers of the letter would know what he's talking about. What we can conclude from the context of 1 John is that there's this, there is a lifestyle that leads to death. And it is one of refusal to follow the commandments of God. One that rejects the work of Jesus Christ. Remember when John's talking about in chapter two, the spirit of the Antichrist, it's those who have rejected who Jesus Christ is. It's those who are not willing to accept that he died on the cross on behalf of their sins. And so in that lifestyle, that sin is unto death because there's no repentance of that sin. There's no, there's no acceptance that Jesus Christ paid for that sin. And so John says, there is sin that leads to death. And I don't say that you should pray for that one. He doesn't say you can't, but he doesn't command you that you do. But here's the big picture, guys. Here's what John is getting at. He's talking about prayer. And he's talking about that your relationship is one such that you are the child. God is the father. And he is excitedly anticipating your prayers. And he's working in you to change your desires so that the things you're asking are the things that he's doing anyway. And so your requests are in line with the God of the universe. But there is, a role, there is a reality that sometimes the things that we ask don't come true. And so John is just helping us understand that there are some things that we might ask for desperately so, but they may not come true. Specifically, if we're praying for somebody or we see somebody and their lifestyle is marked by sin and we're praying for them to come out of that, they may not come out of that. But it's not a failure of your prayers. I think that's part of the point that John's getting to is it's not a failure of your prayers, but there's a whole spiritual realm going on here. But then John also wants to help clarify for us verse 17. Sin not leading to death does not mean that sin doesn't, is not a weighty matter. So John is fast to recap verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin. And so as believers, we can't walk through life and and go, well, sin doesn't really matter. 
I can just disregard that wrongdoing. That one doesn't matter. But the beauty, friends, is we don't have to. We don't have to. Remember what John says. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. He also says that we have Christ, our advocate, the one that's standing before God the Father, the one that, that was without sin, lived a perfect life. He's, he's our advocate for God the Father. He's our propitiation for our sins. And so we don't live in fear of the sin. We don't live in fear of the sin because that's the next point. Number three, we have victory over sin. Sin doesn't subdue us. Sin doesn't have mastery over us. Sin doesn't get us down in the dumps where we, ha- we can't get our head out. We can't, we can't get out of it and we're just doomed to live in it. That's not the certainty of the Christian life. The certainty of the Christian life is that we have victory over sin because Christ conquered sin. Christ paid for sin on, on the cross. And so we have victory over sin. Reminder, 1 John 1, 9, if you haven't committed this to memory, I strongly encourage you to, as a believer, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have victory over sin. Time and time again, John reminds us, no one who loves God keeps on sinning. No one who loves God keeps on sinning. That's not what marks our life. We will still struggle with sin. There's still sin because John also reminds us, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But we don't, we're not subdued by sin. We as believers have victory over sin. He repeats this in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. I'm reminded in the gospel of John verse 10, I mean, chapter 10, verse 28, John is writing and it's the words of Jesus. And he says that I have given them eternal life, meaning Jesus has given us eternal life and no one can snatch us from his hand. So the certainty that we have is fully based on Jesus Christ. Not only that we have eternal life through Christ, but that he's the one who's gonna secure that eternal life. We have victory over sin, not in and of ourselves, but we have victory over sin through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who guarantees that victory, not you or I. Let's let's keep going. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Point number four, we belong to God. We belong to God. Throughout, again, John has been showing us these two lifestyles. One belongs to the world, one belongs to God. The one that belongs to God, um, we have victory over sin. We have eternal life. We love God. We obey his commands. We love our brothers and sisters. The lifestyle that is of the world is one that has, has uh, turned against God, rejects Jesus Christ, does not live a holy and righteous life, keeps on sinning. That's the, that's the characteristic of their life, sin. And so we are not of the world. We have overcome the world through Jesus Christ. And so we belong to God. And again, Jesus says, I've given them eternal life and no one snatches them from my hand. We don't have to wonder. 
We don't have to wonder if the world is going to dominate us or if we're going to overcome the world. Even just last week, Pastor Ryan was talking about that, overcoming the world. We belong to God. The world is passing away. In chapter two, John talks about that. The world, the desires of the world are passing away, but we will abide forever because we belong to God. And point number five, we know the true God. Look at verse 20. It says, and we know that the son of God has come. A key point for us, friends. We know the son of God has come. We're not waiting on a Messiah. He has already come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We know the true God. You're going to hear a lot of things every day about gods and multiple gods or a God that's the same God as, as the God you believe in. But we know the true God. We know what he's like. We know who he is. We don't have to wonder. We know the true God. Jesus Christ has come and given us understanding so that we may know. We may know. Let's conclude with this verse 21. Little children. This is the kind of fatherly tone that John takes with us in this letter. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, it may seem like a little bit of a weird ending. John gives us five things that we know, and then he says, keep yourselves from idols. But here's what John is doing. In his context, in his time frame, um, there were multiple religions being practiced. And one of the powerful things, one of the things that was true of most of them was they had these graven images that people were looking to for power, that people were looking to for contentment, that people were looking to for guidance in their life. Unfortunately, we have the same things. They just look a little bit different. So let me help translate this verse for us. We look to things to give us guidance, power, contentment, and joy. But if they're not the true God, they're counterfeit. And they might look like a certain job position. Maybe you're climbing the corporate ladder to get to executive level position in your company. And maybe you think that when you get there, that's the life, right? That's when you've got it made. You've got the position, you might get the paycheck, you get the status, you get the influence, and that's what you're striving for. It's counterfeit. Maybe it looks like a certain family. Maybe it's, maybe it's the family that all the children are dressed appropriately. They're all standing in line. No off-the-wall comments. Their behavior is impeccable. And everybody looks at your family and says, oh, I want to be like them. And when you get that, that's the life. That's what you've been working towards. And that's when you'll have contentment. That's when you'll feel secure. That's when you'll know you've arrived. It's counterfeit. If you have kids, you know off-the-wall comments come at every turn. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's a certain, you get to take vacation every year. You get to travel the world. You get to lay on the beach, climb the mountain. Maybe it's the second home that you want to buy, the, the, the vacation condo. 
And that when you get those things, that lifestyle is going to be one in a rhythm in which you get relaxation and contentment and joy. And, and you're striving for that. And so you're going to work so hard right now to save up enough cash so that you can get that lifestyle. When you get it, it's counterfeit. It's an idol. It's empty. John proposes, not proposes, but John walks us through and says, this is the life. This is what it looks like to be a believer. And he says, and when you grasp that in your mind, when you know these things to be true, they're gonna penetrate into your heart and they're gonna be deep-seated beliefs that you're gonna hold on to, and your life is just gonna start looking like it. You're gonna love God. You're gonna deal with sin. You're gonna confess it. You're gonna love people. And so your, your, your behaviors are gonna follow the beliefs based on truth. Do you remember how the movie The Matrix ended? So Neo chose the red pill because he wanted, he wanted his eyes opened. He wanted to know. And so he took the red pill. And there's a bit of, there's some turmoil that happens in the movie next because though Neo took the red pill, though he wanted to know, there was this wrestling because the truth, the reality was so amazing that his body revolted against it. And then his life was, was in turmoil because though he, in his mind, knew what was true, he just couldn't quite come to grips with it in a deep-seated belief. But as the movie progresses, Neo begins more and more to experience the reality of what is true. And in the end, he faces the enemy and he overcomes the enemy. And do you know Why? Because all that he knew to be true became a full, lived-out reality for him. And so knowledge became belief, became behavior. And so what John is giving to us today, friends, the final exhortation that he leaves us with, don't think of graven images. Think of this, live the life. If this truly is the life, live it. Allow those things that you know to be true, penetrate your heart so that your behaviors follow what you know to be true. So live the life. We have a great opportunity over the next three to four weeks. It is Christmas time. The time in which we set aside in whatever fashion you do to worship Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. So live your life in worship this season. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the truth of scripture that you've brought to us through John's writings. God, I pray for each of us that those truths would not just live in our minds, but they penetrate our heart and become beliefs so that our lives are lived in light of the truth of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.